Well, this morning as we continue to worship um, in the Word, and we are coming to another first. We're on the series I'm in John, and I thought that since we were experiencing um, some firsts together, that I would kind of go through some of the firsts um, that John uses in his gospel um, to set, as I said last week, kind of the pattern um, for the other things that will follow in terms of what those firsts tell us. Um, And this one I thought was kind of a reach at first until I actually realized, no, this really is um, a first um, that John intended to kind of tell us about um, what will happen after. And so I'm calling this encounter with Nicodemus um, in John 3, um, the first Pharisee. (laughs) In other words, the first time Jesus really has this interaction um, with one of the Pharisees and what that tells us. So if you would please give your attention um, to the gospel in John chapter 3. Verses 1 through 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Well, it's interesting how, and actually it's probably even more poignant in the last few weeks, how life tends to at times kind of seem to circle back, right, to things that were familiar or things that you have done before. Um, It's been amazing to me in the last few weeks how um, I will see something or smell something or see someone um, that brings back all kinds of memories, right, of our time here before, but yet at the same time, It's different, right? It's new. Things have changed. Things have moved on in the time that we've been gone. Um, This morning, I was actually out at the coffee bar um, getting coffee, and I looked at the mugs that were sitting out there, and I was like, oh, 
that looks familiar. <laughs> and one of our mugs was sitting there that I had brought to the church when we were here before. And there it was. And I remember it because it wasn't really ugly. <laughs> and so that's probably why we left it here. We thought, ah, oh, well, let's, let's leave that one at the church. But it's still here. <laughs> and it's come back around. Well, one of the things in my life that kind of came back around when we went to Rapid City which I wasn't expecting or planning on, was I'm getting back into the pastime of fly fishing. And when I was in middle school, I had a shop teacher that taught a fly tying class after school. And so I would go with a handful of friends and we would um, learn how to tie flies. And then he would take us out um, on fishing outings every so often um, throughout the years that I was in middle school. And that was one of um, the things that I most loved about middle school um, was those friends and that time doing that. But for some reason after that, um, I never really kept doing it. I've never held on to it. But when we got to Rapid City, there was several people in the congregation um, that were big into fly fishing. And so they got me back into it. In fact, I'm one of the elders um, that was the primary um, co culprit of doing all this. I told him, if, if you worked it hard as getting people to come to the church as you did at getting to go fishing, we'd have a huge church. <laughs> but he would do anything. To, he would give you his equipment. He would do whatever to get you to go fishing with them. Well, one time, one of our favorite places to go um, was in the Bighorns. Anybody been to the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming? We were in the Bighorns on a river called the Tongue River. It was where we would go um, once every summer um, to go fishing. Well, last summer when we were there, the very first day we were having lunch, and after having started fishing, and one of the guys named John, he looks out and he says, hey, do you guys see that over there? And you know how that goes, right? You're like looking, he's like, yeah, don't you see there's that little red patch right over there? Do you guys see that? Oh, see, you know, it's by that tree. Let's go over this way a little ways. And, you'll, and me and the other guy, Bill, were like, no, I don't, don't see what you're talking about. Finally, so we got out the binoculars and everything, and we're trying to, he said, I think that that's, that's a sandhill crane out there. And we kept saying, oh, I don't think so. John, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think that they, they, sandhill cranes come up this high. Right? I've never heard of a sandhill crane being this, at this high of, of altitude. And so finally, after getting out the binoculars and looking, we realized that there was indeed a sandhill crane up there in the Big Hill Mountains, and as in Big Horn Mountains. And as we kept fishing, we kept seeing more of them. And we finally realized that there was a ton, there was a bumper crop of grasshoppers and that were out, and the cranes were there and eating all the grasshoppers. But it took Bill and I a long time to finally see that crane, and not only because it was kind of hard to see, but because mainly we didn't believe or think that there could possibly be a sandhill crane up in the mountains and that high, and so it made it even harder um, for us to see that. And that's a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on in this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. Because Jesus tells him that he wants him to see the kingdom of God. To be able to see that in Jesus, heaven and earth are beginning to come together. That things are beginning to be brought to the completion that God had intended. The restoration of all things, shalom, shalom wholeness, peace, healing, hope all have arrived, and they are now right there in front of Nicodemus. Right there. But Nicodemus can't 
see it. And Jesus is trying to help him to see it in all kinds of ways. And just like our friend John got really frustrated, actually in the whole process of trying to get us to see on this crane, Jesus is actually getting frustrated. Frustrated to the point that he, you peoples, Nicodemus, have you ever been you peopled? <laughs> well, you people always, right? You people never. It's actually one of the most judgmental things, at least in my experience, that you can do. You not only lump that person um, as an individual, but with a whole group of, well, you people always do this or never do that or always think this. But Jesus is so frustrated with Nicodemus that he says, you people <laughs> will not listen to our to my testimony because you can't see it because you can't see it and so why this whole encounter with Nicodemus sets up I think the rest of Jesus's interactions with the Pharisees and why can't the Pharisees see it and why is Jesus so frustrated with the Pharisees as I've reflected on the scripture and that whole thing through the years, of course, one of the things that I first thought was that the Pharisees can't see it because they're legalists, right? They're so bound in following the rules and in making sure that other people follow the rules that when grace arrives, they miss it. They don't understand it. They can't wrap their heads around it. And so that's part of what's going on. The other thing that happens with the Pharisees and that drives Jesus nuts is that in doing that, in keeping the rules so closely and meticulously, they forget to keep people. Keeping the rules begins to supersede being people keepers, and so they begin to make second-class citizens out of others who don't follow the rules the way that they do. And so there's us who are willing to do this and all of you who can't or aren't or won't. And so we are spiritually superior because we are keeping ourselves clean, following the rules, and you who aren't are down there and torn down a notch. And that drove Jesus nuts, and it's getting even more, I think, at what really was the core of the issue with the Pharisees. But as I reflected on this passage this week, I realized that there's something even more at the root of Phariseeism, at the root of what's going on here. And it, it's, it's held in the passage where Jesus talks about the Spirit, of course. The Spirit blows where it will. And you don't see it or perceive it, and it comes and goes and blows where it will but yet is at work. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. In other words, if you're really going to see the kingdom, something needs to happen that comes from outside of you, but yet mysteriously somehow is also from within you. You need power from on high, but what that power does is begin to work from the inside out to make you new, to rebirth you in a way that you then can see and perceive and know the kingdom of God and not only know it and see it, but be part of it. 
But the problem wasn't just that the Pharisees were legalists. The problem isn't just that the Pharisees made second-class citizens out of people. And at the core of Nicodemus's wrestling and his struggle, how can that be? How can that be? It's so far out of Nicodemus's thinking, his ability to comprehend that he can't even wrap his head around it. How can that be that I would need to be reborn? At the root of that struggle is the whole issue of control. The spirit is not under your control, Nicodemus. God is not under your control. All ages have big problems that we need to solve. And ours, one of them, I think, is division. It's binary thinking. It's either this or that. You either need to be this or that. And in Nicodemus' age, it was, what do we do about the Romans? Because their presence seems to go against everything that God has told us about his promise and who we are and what he's going to do in and through his people And so what do we do about that? And the Pharisees' response was to keep the law so closely, to try to make themselves so pure that God would have to, of course, then respond and save them because they had done that. And of course, at the root of all of that is that they're the ones in the driver's seat, They're the ones keeping the rules and calling the shots. And if they can just do that enough, then God would respond. And so as we see Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees after this, that's at the root of things like the Sabbath. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And we're the ones who were in charge of that. And Jesus says, no. God made the people for the Sabbath and the Sabbath for people, and it's not actually under your control. The wind blows where it will. And so Jesus, trying yet again um, to help Nicodemus see this, and we don't know whether Nicodemus ever really did or not, and there's hints that maybe he did, but Jesus gives it another go. And says, okay, look for something else. Look for something else. I will be, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Just as the snake in the desert was lifted up. And the snake in the desert refers back to that time in Exodus when Israel was wandering in the desert And they were being tormented by snakes and people being bitten by them. And so God goes, Moses goes to God and says, God, what do we do? And God says, make a snake, a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole and lift it up. And when people look at that snake, even if they are bitten, they will be healed. They will be made whole. And so Jesus gives it another try and says, Nicodemus, Pharisees, look for this. If you can't see the kingdom right next to you, 
coming into being, maybe when you see me lifted up on the cross and you look to that, then you will realize, all of a sudden you'll go like we did I'm in the Bighorn Mountains. Oh, I do see it. There really can be a sandhill crane this high up in the mountains. And the reason why Jesus, I think, uses that example to try to get Nicodemus to see is because it brings together this whole thing and that is a mystery that the church has been struggling with and dealing with in different ways. And our tradition is one of those that has tried to bring together the mystery of God's initiative and our response of God doing the heavy lifting, but yet our need to respond to that. We need to be made new from the inside out. We need to be made whole, to be renewed, and not only us individually, but all of creation along with us needs to be made new. But it's not under our control. It's not up to us. God does the heavy lifting, the most of the work. And so Jesus gives Nicodemus this picture. A snake will be lifted up in the desert. I will be lifted up on the cross. And in that sacrifice that I make, I will make possible for all things to be made new, for all to respond and to come to me. But you need to look. You need to look. You need to look up and to see, and to see the cross. And in looking and believing, you will be made new. To me, that captures the picture that God brings before us that Jesus wants us to get. Yes, God sacrifices. Yes, God initiates. Yes, God gives grace. But our part, our response, is as much as that glance, as looking and knowing and seeing that in that look, um, we can be made whole. And so our hope is found um, in Jesus being lifted up, but in our willingness to look up um, and to see that. And when we do that, we will indeed um, be reborn. We will indeed be made new as creation is from the inside out. And so may you remember that you are not in control. The Spirit blows where it will. And may the Spirit empower you to look and to see the kingdom right next to you and to know that God is making you and all things new. May it be so. Amen.